When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm delighted to be joined by Seb Halford's Floor. Hi Seb. Hey Joe Devine. How you doing? I'm doing great. Ah, JJ Bull the Bullard. Oh, you with the energy, look at this. That's right, always oh. bringing the energy to the TIFO Football Podcast. And uh, goodness me, I didn't need to bring it today, JJ, because the football brought the energy. Wow. It revived what? something within you. It revived something within me that was was uh, dormant uh, from this morning, but it was also alive last night during the Yellow Cards yes. debacle. That Much was like the Fairy Fountains in uh, Legend of Zelda. Absolutely. It has restored all your hearts. Exactly like that. Icons. And you know exactly what it is that's restored all of my heart icons? Well. Japan beating Spain. Good Lord. Yeah? Very exciting stuff. There was also, there was five minutes today, maybe slightly longer, Seb, you'll tell me, maybe slightly mm. less, when Costa Rica and Japan were going through... And Spain and Germany were going out. Now, you can't have everything you want, but at least we've got half of it. Yeah, so that was the point at which I was live blogging one game and trying to stand in the middle of the room and watch another at the same time. Yes. And I just passed out, I think, during that period because sure. it felt like it felt like a minute, but also an hour at the yeah. same time. Yeah, yeah, it's a very yeah. confusing period for me this evening. It is confusing for you, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. yes. Well, anyway, never mind. Yeah. Just to clarify, when I say what I want, I do mean Japan and Costa Rica qualifying as opposed to Spain and Germany going out it's, it's always funny when a big team goes out as you constantly remind me when england lose it's funny exactly if you aren't a supporter i think you got to um, see it from my side of i, I can see it, i can see it from your side um but i think we all agree uh, that seeing uh, japan go through is very very exciting and uh, you know i suppose unless you are a fan of germany but we'll talk about that more um what else we're we going to talk about on today's podcast canada and morocco morocco going through top of that group uh, tremendous work there croatia and belgium um, yes, we'll come to talk about that a little bit later. Mm. And of course, there are, there's points are bad later on the show too. But did you enjoy yourself today, JJ? I had a lovely time. Yeah. Uh, I watched the football and I thought it was a good day Well, to be alive. I mean, if you like being alive, you should get theathletic.com. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Only available to people who are alive. I mean, I guess, you know, I don't know. <laughs> There could be a spooky element to it, couldn't there? But it's not Halloween. That's that's past now. But uh, if you were alive, you can read all the live blogs, or you can read all of the excellent pieces of work written by the numerous exceptional journalists that work in this building. Not us. The very, very good people. The people at the top of their game. The people who are writing things that inspire, that inform, that educate, and that delight theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. But for now, I will leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of Japan. Yes, Spain won to Japan. Didn't write that down in the plan, so I had to think that one off the top of my head, but it was one two. Um... This was very, very exciting, as discussed. Uh, Seb obviously live-blogged the Germany game, so we'll spend most of the time here talking to JJ. But, um, JJ, you noticed halfway through the first half, Japan 
changed their approach within the game. And whilst they won the game in the second half, it was with that change of approach that, that really kind of changed things. Well, they had to change because Spain had them. Spain were playing lovely football. Uh, they played like a 4-3-3. This is roughly what the teams look like. If you're looking on the live stream, you can see. But they, they play a 4-3-3 and they make the pitch nice and big, but they also keep lots of players close together. So they've got lots of ways to pass the ball around. And they just had Japan stuck back and they couldn't do anything. They couldn't get out of their own half for most of the, well, for most of the first half, about 25 minutes in. Yeah. And then what's been... Uh, what are the parallels with the Germany game? Well, this is the thing, because, yeah, same thing. Japan were forced deeper, so they were, they were sat back in a... Well, they, they, they played a 5-4-1 to start with in this game, and I think they were a different shape, like more of a 4-2-3-1, I think, mm. in the first half of the Germany game. But they started with a 5-4-1, and they were sat back in this big block, and so everything they had to do would be the counter, but it didn't matter, because Spain just had them outnumbered. They had everyone in the in their half, Pedri and Gavi pulling strings, Busquets even dancing around, then Azpilicueta, Rodri, Pau Torres and uh, Alex Baldi. And they would swap around positions, you'd get pe uh, people overloading one side and suddenly you'd get an overload in the middle. It was amazing to watch. And mm. the change that Japan made was to start pressing them much higher, as simple as that. So then uh, Spain are pushed slightly deeper and because they want to play out from the back, it's a very high risk, high reward kind of situation. But if you can stop them from getting into your half then you can try and pick them off. And that's what they did. They just started the press much higher at the pitch. They were able to stop the ball going to the places that Spain wanted them to get. And then you had Busquets making risky decisions. They were chasing the ball onto the goalkeeper and then he was getting caught with it and having to put it out for a throw-in. Mm. And it just changed the dynamic of the game because Spain were in total control for, like I'd say, a large part of that half. And that change in the approach, the change in aggression and pressing and when they're pressing and how quickly they're doing it just changed it. Yeah. Yeah, okay, fine. I mean, uh, the Japan coach, Moriyasu, he was praised um, in earlier games in this tournament for making sort of key substitutions. Um, he seemed to do it again in, in this game. Yes, let me remember to myself who came on. So at halftime, it was uh, Duan came on. Mm. So Ritsu Duan and uh, Kairo Matoma. Duan, who is like so far, and his technique with the ball at his feet is incredible, isn't he? He's the Freiburg player, right? Uh, yes, he is. Yeah. And then later on, they had Asano came on. He was the guy that played up top against Germany and yeah. was really dangerous. So they put a lot of pace on. So they got this guy, Ito, who plays in the right, a right wing back, who's really, really good, really quick. And he was a constant threat throughout. Uh, up front in this game, they played, they started with Kamada, Maida. Maida plays for Celtic and he likes to run in behind. Couldn't do it because Spain wouldn't let him get the ball. And uh, Takafuso Kubo, who is a very tricky left footed kind of player, a bit like, the, he's called Japanese Messi, he's been called it that in the past. Mm. He was on the books at Barcelona as a youth player. Um, and then they had a bit of an issue with player registrations to do with signing players who were too young. I can't remember what the rule yeah. was. Yeah, they were in to, breach of the regulations. Yeah. That's the one, they did something yeah. bad. And then uh, he went to Real Madrid for a bit, but he's now playing, I think, for La Real. And he's Real Sociedad. Yes, that's it, yeah. He oh, was, was at Malaga Mallorca. for, uh, not Malaga, sorry, Mallorca. he was at Mallorca for yeah. a little bit and then he moved on, yeah. A really tidy player, but just couldn't really have the impact you want because you don't need players who can work in tight spaces. What you want is pace in behind, which you get from Ito, which you get from uh, Duan, which you get from uh, other lads came on who I've forgotten. Asano, yes, that's, good, that's the good one. So they gave themselves lots of pace. Spain pass, 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 and they try and keep the tempo so that they're in control of it. But as soon as they lose control of the ball and don't have control of the game, mm suddenly the odds are in favour of Japan. But the same thing that happened against Japan is happening against Germany. They basically did them in like a five, ten minute flurry. Yeah. Yeah. So they score one and there's right momentum. So 48th minute is the first goal. 
yeah. uh, by Duran. And then the 50 or 51st minute is when they score the second. And it's just that change of momentum that Spain is like, whoa, this is how it's happened. They push back on the ropes and then Japan go for them. They don't well, let them uh, go. Immediately after the first goal and then again after the second goal, it was all Japan, right? I mean, like Spain seemed a loss and there are two different ways of, of approaching this Seb we know that you, you didn't watch this game specifically but you, but you saw Japan Germany yep. you saw Germany Spain yep. right so the two different takes from this game are Japan now uh, the only game they lost is to Costa Rica right? who uh, we know play in a deeper block and they struggled to to unlock them when they are playing in transition against a team that has most of the ball, they clearly, yeah. clearly do very well. That's point number one. Point number two, Spain have now twice looked extremely dominant in the first half of the game. Almost so much that, as JJ says, they totally controlled the game. And then they lost it. They kind of fell apart. That The same sort of thing happened against Germany as well. They let the opposition team back in. And that's kind of the, I think we said at the time, that's the difference between this Spain team and the Spain teams of the past that we that we all remember. Yeah, it's kind of the illusion of control, isn't it? Because like those Spain, Spain, Spain teams of the past that you describe, like when they had the ball, it never felt as if they were vulnerable to any sort of press because they had arguably the three finest possession players in the world at the same time in the at the heart of their midfield. Mm. Um, the other thing about Japan, Joe, and this is an observation from the first game rather than tonight because I haven't seen enough of it, is just that you talked about that transitional quality. Great point, absolutely. They've got a lot of players on the bench who can come in and do different things mm. as well on the transition as well. So yeah. I think what you have is kind of a perpetually fresh transition team, which is kind of interesting and, and I mean... In a World Cup, which is squeezed between two halves of a domestic season, when everyone's knackered, that must be a nightmare. Yeah. That was a very sure. It's definitely phase. part of the plan. I think it's yeah. part of the game plan. Is there is a reason they're leaving those really quick lads on until later in the game? Yeah. yeah. So you can take advantage of teams who are slightly more tired. You see yeah. how tired people do look, and they're also playing ten minutes extra a game. Yeah. So that well, must be part of it. This is so going to come up, by the way, because uh, we were just checking uh, who was going to play who in the next round. Japan play Croatia. Now we've described Croatia That's before. Really interesting. I, I think it. I think yeah. it really is. Like we've described them before as a team, regardless of how good you think they are, whether some of their players are a little on the older side or not. Croatia are a team you do not want to face in the World Cup. They have the ball all the time. They have all the experience. They know how to how to grind a de- grind a game down into into the depths. But against Japan, I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. I mean, I feel like that might be the perfect game for Japan. I uh, totally agree. So they play. In not a dissimilar way to Spain. I mean, it, it actually kind of is because Spain are very unique in that they play like it's a club football game. They play like Guardiola's Barcelona or yeah. Enrique's Barcelona, I suppose. I mean, Croatia's possession is slower, isn't it? The, the movement of the ball. Yeah, and they rely on playing it a lot through um, the middle. So they don't have pace out wide. So like Spain have players like Olmo and Williams they started with against Japan who are really quick and can get in behind. So they've got that a way to stretch the pitch. Whereas what Croatia have on the left is even Perisic, who's not quite as quick as once he was. He's about 33. Yeah. And on the right, they're playing not Kramaric. Was it Kramaric tonight? I can't remember who started. Not tonight. Yesterday they played, wasn't it? Yeah, Kramaric played. Whoever yeah. it was. They played one guy out Today. wide who's not a fast boy. And they play a striker through the middle. So they haven't got the same way of stretching the pitch. They rely... Tend to have tended to in the past have relied on the fullbacks getting up to provide your width. So um, the right back uh, plays for Celtic, uh, Juranovic, and the left back is uh, Soma. Is that his name? Sosa? Oh, Bonus Sosa from Stuttgart. That's yeah. the one, Sosa, yeah. So yeah. And, and, and they're both good players and they can both get forward and provide the width. But you need width to be able to play through the middle uh, and have space in the middle of the pitch for the midfield to play. And then you've got Brozovic, Modric, and Kovacic, who are very, very good. And they keep the ball and they kind of spin round in a and a little carousel all the way through. They pop up all over the pitch, give you an overload on the left if you want to, or sometimes they'll just keep the middle of the pitch. But what they'll do 
is they can't play as high a line as they might want to because Spain, or sorry, because Japan rely on that. That's how they get in behind. So if Japan can sort of lure them into a, so when they defend Japan, they sit very deep and then they, it's, kind of like a block so they'll have uh if they press they press in this kind of pentagon shape where they have a, a forward at the top then they have so two midfielders then they have a forward at the top and you get a, a wide forward either side of them that's very common in football we see that a lot in mm. club football and trash football that's you press with this sort of shape because you can then trap people in the middle of it and they can't pass out of it that's what you do higher up the pitch when they go deep it changes to more of a straight five four one and then they just block the, the, the play so the striker can lead the play either left or right depending on where he curves his run and then the rest of the team just blocks it. The wing back pushes up to help create an overload on the other side. And then they, they squash any attacks and deny space. So Croatia can't really play through them. They don't really have pace in behind to be able to play over the top. So especially if Japan are sitting deep. Well, this is actually maybe relevant because against Spain, they couldn't sit too high up mm-hmm. because you've got Murata, Olmo and Williams you can get in behind. So they've got to sit really deep in a really deep block. But against Croatia, they could probably afford to be a little bit higher up because they'd have more of a time to get back before they can mm. transition. So that might be something that you see different in that game. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, well, listen, we asked the live chat um, before the podcast began, how far can Japan go? We gave it a little, put a little poll out there. The options were around a 16 quarterfinal semifinals or final stroke winner because we're only allowed four. Um, quarterfinals has 53% of the vote. So presuming that at least a number of the people who responded to the poll knew that they were going to play Croatia, there's a fair amount of confidence in the live chat today um, that uh, Japan can beat Croatia. Um, 7% say semifinals, 14% say finals or winners. Yeah, wouldn't that be fun? I like how it's a total difference in styles and that uh, like Japan have good players as well. But the difference in styles is really interesting to me in that you can, can win a game in many different ways. And often the most well, efficient way to win is not by having the ball. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. if you don't have to, if you're not the one in charge making the mistakes, you're more likely to be able to score. I'm having a similar sort of problem just now with my Wrexham save and football manager, actually. What's the problem? I've got all the possession, creating chances, but I'm just not breaking teams down enough. So I'm trying to withdraw a little bit so I can hit them quicker, more right. direct. Yes. And get through them and in behind. Right, Which is what Spain do really well. How are you doing in your Wrexham save? Very well. I'm doing pretty well in League 2 now, qualified I won the National League. You got congratulated by our new friend Humphrey Carr for that, yeah. didn't you? <laughs> well, that's because I messaged Humphrey on Twitter to tell him that I won the league with Wrexham. He was being polite. I mean, you know. Uh, Humphrey Carr is the director of Wrexham. And I am a 37-year-old man messaging him about winning the league with a fictional football. Cool a guy. Football yeah, I'm a good guy. Real cool guy. Okay, well, listen. I think, uh, as I said, it goes without saying, although I have said it now twice. We're all delighted for Japan. But Seb Stafford Bloor on Halford's floor. Let's mm. talk about Germany, okay? Go on then. Yep. First off, what is the equivalent of Halford's in Germany? Uh, <laughs> probably Baumarkt. Baumarkt? Yeah, so Baumarkt is your local sort of outdoor DIY. Yeah. yeah. Kind of B&Q. Your yeah, home so base. like um, we, we, we have one. I mean, there's quite a few different chains. There's more you than one available. One. So, you, no, do you no, own a franchise I of Baumarkt? I do Baumart. not own a franchise of Baumarkt. Right. No, it's, Would you um, consider that though? No. Healthy business? No, probably not. Not a healthy business? No. Well, I mean, we're learning a lot. Maybe. It depends here. on the climate. I mean, uh, Baumarkt just means garden centre, really. Yeah. So you have different variations of it. So I, I live close to one um one version there's a um another shop whose name i cannot remember because it's late and i'm well tired. while you're thinking about that yeah. let me ask you this jj when you were a a, a wee nipper little child then, yes uh did you think as i did that um garden centers would be more exciting than they actually are they seem exciting 
You seem like when you go to one, you think, oh, man, they are there's going to be a lot of things here. They're exciting as an adult. Oh, as an adult. But as a child, they seem more thrilling. And then actually they're just full of soil. You mean the idea of the garden centre? The promise of it, yeah. The promise of the reveal of the garden centre. Isn't that often the way with many things that the, the promise is so much more? It I is. remember being Q being a very exciting place to go as a child because there were so many things. That is an exciting place to go. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the Baumgart, the, the sort of uh, the home store, is very exciting as an adult, though. I like to buy sort of baking dishes and stuff, you know? Get yes. very carried away with the... With the high quality pizza slices, that sort of thing. Me and my sisters would sometimes take the 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 price label off of one item and put it over another, so people thought they were buying something for a different a wee price. Jape. Whoa. Oh, well, then you didn't buy it for the cheaper price. You I left didn't it buy in the it. Store. I mean, I would have been about eight. So your only aim there five. was chaos. Yeah, I can understand. See the where I came score. from. Yeah, yeah. you got to you find your fun somehow when you're an eight-year-old and being Q. Well, Aberdeen. speaking of finding fun, <laughs> uh, Germany are going to have to try quite hard to find fun, of course, because this is not only uh, out on the group stages. Said this is out on the group stages for two World Cups in a row. I mean, and I would imagine in Germany that's uh, that's a cause for concern. Yes, that is root and branch territory. I'd imagine for yes. the DFB, this was a disaster. I think what would should we contextualise a bit and say, obviously, no one expected, not no one, but very few people ex- expected Japan to, to win. And we, and we will see plenty of other teams go through on four points. Yeah, let me, let's let's remove that for a minute, just because I don't think what Japan did tonight, although ultimately led to Germany's elimination, was that important because um, the German performance just wasn't good enough. They ended up scoring four times. They, they won the game. It felt like, it felt very, very similar to the Japanese game that they lost um, in the first game of the tournament in the sense that they started quite well. They had the bulk of the pressure and the shots on goal. They looked very, very dangerous. They got to that state where they seemed to feel okay with squandering chances because it, it got to a stage where, you know, there'll be another one, there'll be another one, and there'll be another one. And it was it was very imprecise football. And then just before halftime, they were 1-0 up at halftime, but just before halftime, there was um, there's a big long ball over the top and I'll just use the board actually for this. Um, if I can get the pen out of the thing, because it's, oh no, that's difficult. I won't use the board. That's not going to work at all, is it? Because happened to Seb? No, no, don't say it. Don't say it. There it is. 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 <laughs> okay, so um, it was really kind of, um, wasn't a very dangerous situation at all, but there was a long ball played over the top like this. and um, Like what? Like this, it was kind of a big 40-yard ball over the top, just ah. to kind of the uh, the right corner. Over whose um, top? Over the top of the German defence. Ah. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then it was kind of, there was a, an air shot by Raum, left back, an air shot by Rudiger, centre back, and left you, side of centre back. I'm not doing a joke now, but when you say air shot, do you just mean they tried to kick up the ball and miss exactly it? Exactly as it sounds, right. yes. Okay, yes, yes, yes. so a clumsy, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, and then it led to a one-on-one with Neuer, who made a very, very good save. What it suggested to me was that it's a Germany side that that in different parts in different departments seems to think it's a little bit better than it really is. We've talked quite a lot about the flaws, the lack of a number nine, the absence of a, an established centre-back partnership. And yet you have these individual players who have so much faith in their ability that there's almost a bit of complacency in it. And the Costa Rican side that we saw lose to Spain and the one who beat Japan were very different teams. Mm. But whatever they may be, they are not a world-beating side. They're not. A, they're not a group of players who should be able to um, should be able to beat this Germany at a World Cup. And yet, there was a vulnerability throughout. Like even long before it became obvious that Germany would need to score about six or seven goals to advance and would need a favour from the other game and, and that kind of stuff. It was just. It was very pedestrian, 
Um, and the longer the game went on, I think what, what troubled me is there's no system. I, in the last 10 minutes, sure, Hansi Flick is throwing on players. So on came Goetzer, on came Fulkrug. Um, Kai Havertz came on and actually played very well. Kai Havertz had a pretty good last 20 minutes. He scored a goal, didn't he? He did. He scored two goals, two, set two. one up. He set up a, 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 um, a tap-in for Fulkrug as well to make it 40. The trouble was that there, there was... There was never any clear idea. Mm. Um, there was never any suggestion they were doing anything other than just throwing their full weight at, at, at Costa Rica and hoping sort of like a kind of footling piñata to break them. Um, that's, do you think that's kind of normal? Because I think they have a very clear system and it's interesting actually for this game that he changed it. So like what he changed for this game, uh, and because obviously you've watched all the games, so like Kimmich started in the middle usually with Goretzka, uh, sorry, with Gundogan, because Goretzka wasn't there. And the right back was, uh, who started the first game at right back? So Sule started the first game Sule, and then right, Kara, um started the, the second. That's right. And then they had uh, the Stotterbeck, who, yeah. there we go. So the idea, I think, was very much like what Italy were doing at the Euros, because Ryan's a very attacking fullback, so he goes very far up the, the pitch. Yeah. Then the, the centre-backs uh, basically go from a four to a three. Then you've got Gundogan and Kimmich stopping that, uh, blocking it, so they've got a three-two. Then what you get out of the pitch is Sane, Muller, Muziala, and Gnabry, yep. and Rauma, your front f- oh, four or five, joined by one of Gundogan or something like that. It's the kind of a five ahead of the ball thing, isn't it? You one, know, two, three, four, five. five. Yeah, exactly. Five, yeah. So like, it's very common for teams to do a three, two, five or a two, three, five. It's the most common shapes. And then when it's a three, two, uh, three, two, five, it very easily becomes a two, three if someone joins the midfield and then the other players go around to keep the shape. And that's the kind of shape you see Man City in like a two, three, five mm. most of the time with inverted fullbacks. So there's different ways of doing it. But then for this game, it changed it. Obviously didn't like how this is working. It wasn't functioning the way it maybe should have done, possibly because they don't have that focal point at the top. We talked about that before in different mm-hmm. podcasts. So Sule goes into defence, then he starts away with Rudiger. And so then what you've got is Kimmich goes to right back and then Goretzka is a different profile of player. More box to boxy, not quite as intricate. So I think your link between defence and midfield is maybe not the same. But you're also not getting enough out of the four up top. So like the, the system's quite, I think it's quite clear. You want these guys to rotate and swap position and be able to dance around to free someone up. They were relying on Raum and people just started putting a guy on Raum to stop him. And then that becomes less of a threat as soon as you do that. And then at the end of the end. At the end of the game, like you're saying, then it becomes a bit of chaos and they don't have much shape I, to it. But it's the lack of urgency. Like, I think that's what you're saying. There's just no urgency to them. There's no... To an extent. To an extent. I mean, I would say that this here, this doesn't work. What's here? This, What's is, this, this is this little um, a group of four players at the top of the formation, which actually um, you see for Bayern Munich. So the whole idea when Sadio Mane came to Bayern Munich was instead of having the big pivot and Robert Lewandowski playing as a nine, mm. you had this kind of rotating cast mm. of you know, forward by committee, essentially. Now, what I saw tonight was um, this in principle, but in reality, yes, there's a lot of dependence on Rom down this left-hand side. At the same time, the German plan this evening was really, let's hope Musiala can do something. Mm. Um, he has become, you know, you know when a sort of a, um, a kind of six, seven out of 10 team comes to the World Cup and they have one star player with whom you trust everything. Like he becomes your entire offensive system. So you give the ball to Masiala in a kind of position 10 yards outside um, the penalty box. I hope you can drift inwards and create something, cause a kind of fracture in the defense and cause space for other people. Or you want him, I mean, twice this evening, I saw him pick the ball up in the edge of the box and there must have been, I don't know, five, six um, Costa Rican defenders. Musiala is a brilliant one-on-one player. He's going to be one of the best players in the world for a very, very long time. But if your system depends on giving him the ball again and again and again and again, mm. like 
that's great that you have someone who's that gifted, but it also means that all these other parts aren't really working. Yeah, Nabry scored a goal, but Nabry is nowhere near the player for Germany that he was a year ago for Bayern Munich. Sane had a really difficult first season in Munich, um, has actually had a pretty good recovery. Sane was not as effective as he can be at any point during this World Cup. Um, Goretzka got taken off. Gundogan... Gundogan got taken off again. I don't understand that because Gundogan has consistently been Germany's better, best midfielder in this tournament, yeah, I think. And the other problem with Kimmich plays at right back. Hansi Flick actually said before the tournament, um, you know, in answer to sort of concerns about Germany's creativity, like what can we do to kind of fit another creative player in here? And one of the options is Kimmich goes to right back because yeah. he's such a brilliant ball striker and creator from that position. He said he wasn't going to do that get to a point three games in the tournament where that becomes the only option and what you get is like Germany want to do a couple of things so they want to see Kimmich on the ball sort of um about level with the edge of the penalty area maybe 35 40 yards outside of um outside of the box and you want to see him playing crosses in a kind of like a almost like a Kevin De Bruyne shape Joe mm-hmm. um and looking for a Muller or perhaps a Nabry or a full Krug if he's on the trouble is, the more involved you 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 need Kimmich to be, the more you create this absolute gulf of space behind him because the system doesn't really work well enough to cover that. Mm. Um, and I don't know what I feel about Germany. I I live there. I don't necessarily have an affinity with the football team um, beyond them being you know being made to feel very welcome. Thank you, Germany. It's my mm. adopted home. Sure, but oh, it's that's funny. That's not what you say when the uh, cameras are off. No, no, but I, I'm just playing Always a character. Always talking about it, isn't he? Always. Some crazy thing. He hates Germany. I was super disappointed with this German performance. They won. Do the- you feel it a bit now, though? Seriously, though, now that you, now that you live there and you at least, uh, yeah, because regardless of whether you have an affinity with the team or not, you you live amongst people and friends and neighbours who who do have that affinity. You can understand better how of they. Of course, would because I, I I I it matters to me in the sense that my wife is German, my father-in-law is German, my brother-in-law is German, my mother-in-law is German. Well, my mother-in-law is, is um, they, my mother and, and father-in-law moved to Germany and sort of yeah. are right behind the German national team. But, um, and so I, I, uh, I anticipate their response to it. And I also like- Which for- will be- very very negative yeah as a as a glance at the family chat group will probably reveal oh you've got a family uh, chat group we do yes man do you know i've missed it i don't i'm not in one of these things the family you in the family whatsapp group yep good lord get also, pictures of my little nephew it's nice. oh no football is very important to germany pictures of children no 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 just no, little no. jacob he's all right like it's by far the most popular sport in germany it matters it's like um <laughs> it's like the canadians losing ice hockey like it's the same principle and also like English people can relate to this because it's really the same. When you suffer a defeat, when you're eliminated in the group stages of World Cup, you have this kind of very pervasive demand for change, which becomes very boring and it takes a long time to correct because like, I think one of the roots of this German performance, uh, this German display throughout this this World Cup and also what happened in 2018 is Germany not quite producing the, the right kind of players. Mm. Like We talked about, um, if anybody hasn't read it, do, do read Rafa Honigstein's Das Reboot. Um, which is a, an account of what happened following the, um, the German football team's failure in uh, Euro 2000 and the kind of structural issues and the kind of prevailing beliefs, which um, were kind of fallacies. And we're kind of approaching that territory too, because uh, where is the next Germany number nine? Like, where's that player coming from? Where are the centre-halves? Okay, Schlotterbeck's a good player, but is, is that... Is that the future of the German national team in the sense of what we know German uh, Germany to be? They are a um, a footballing powerhouse, mm. and yet this is they look like a kind of um, 
I, I'm, I'm not sure quite what the the comparison would be, but they are less than themselves. This is not um, this okay. is not what it should look like. I won't disagree with this, even though Seb knows the team far better than I do. Lives in the country, watched the game, yeah, knows the yeah. team. I'm going to go. Love in, to hear you disagree. I'm going to go with in studs deep anyway, right? Go yeah. for it. Go for so, it. So I think this is a great team. I think Germany have a really good team with excellent players. I think Kimmich is one of the better German players I've ever watched play properly. Completely agree. I think Gundogan's brilliant. I yep. think Gnabry, Müller, Sani, Musiala, all of them would easily get in like yep. the England squad, for example. What I think we've seen is that. I think tactics are very important, but what really, really drives you in World Cups is like the, the energy, eggs. the uh, determination, <laughs> uh, eggs, both owl and lizard, many kinds of eggs. Uh, but the energy determinism uh, and the, uh, what's, what's the word I used earlier? Like the urgency to, to yeah. make things happen. So, and I link this to England actually again, is that one of the things I think Gareth Southgate might actually get right, they're so boring to watch England, but England don't push up and leave the kind of space that Costa Rica were able to exploit or that Germ uh, Japan were able to get in behind. They don't do it because they make it so boring. So they would they would have Sule and Rudiger sticking back. Round wouldn't go up and overlap. Kimmich wouldn't go up and overlap. Goretzka and Gundogan would sit back the entire time. And then you just rely on these four to do something. The four being Muziala, Muller, Sani and Gnabry in the final four. And then because there's only four there, it means that someone like Costa Rica can push up a little bit further. And then by pushing up further, you leave a bit more space in behind, which means you might be able to do a bit more, maybe rely on a set piece or something like that. And it might just be that like luck wasn't with them, definitely. But it might also be... Um, uh, you know, like the game management is not like tournament management is not there. But okay, I, that I actually do agree with. I think there's a a big kind of um, tactical shortfall um, that's appeared in this German performance yeah. uh, throughout the tournament. What I also say is, if you look at the goals they conceded this evening, like that is not a tactical deficiency. They didn't come from um, they didn't come from uh, space being left anywhere. It didn't come from a kind of a failure in game management. It came from individual mistakes. At the second Costa Rica goal, which briefly looked like it was about to knock out Spain as well. Yeah. Like it's a big ball. Um, I will use the board just to show you this. I won't move the players because that'll take too long. It's it's a free kick from this kind of position. What, what kind which of Which is far on the left-hand side, close to the touchline. It swung into the penalty box, um, sort of right over to the far post, but still probably about 12 or 13 yards away from the goal. And... Germany have three different opportunities to try and clear it. Three different players miss their headers and eventually it goes in because um, I forget who it was. I think it was a um, Costa Rican player who'd never scored an international goal before. Right. I'll After, find out who it was. 83 appearances or something. It was his first international goal. So, was it the first um, or second goal? So? It is just a, it is the second. Okay. So it was a succession of individual mistakes. And to me, like I think one of the things that... Oh, wasn't that? It was given his own goal for Neuer. Fine. I, that's harsh because Noy didn't really do very much wrong for it. But okay, that's also harsh on the player that scored because it's his only international goal. Um, but to Juan Pablo Vargas? Uh, possibly, possibly. Okay, well, um, you carry on. Um, so to me, like, I think one of the one of the observations I made about a side like Senegal in this World Cup is you've got a really good goalkeeper and you've got a really good centre-half in front of him and that kind of breeds a level of security in the defence. Um, kind of, so it's a sort of a structural like strength of that side. Germany have all these individuals in a sort of uh, golden generation of England sort of way. Doesn't really fit together very well, even though you can observe the individual mm. quality. Like, completely agree. Kimmich, Kimmich is a brilliant footballer. Gretzka, great. Gundogan, great. Messiala might well win a Ballon d'Or one day. Like, these one are very two in good the players. chat are making comparisons between England and Germany for the same reasons you are, by the way. Yeah, this reminds me of watching England in about 2006. Mm. Like, it, it, it should be good, but it's not. That's exactly what I mean. Yeah. And this is the thing where what Southgate's got. They've got a good team now, sure enough, England have a good team. 
But if they didn't win these games uh, in tournaments, you'd be thinking, oh, it's just a waste of good players like this Grealish yeah. and Foden. You know, like they used to. They used to have all these good players like Emil Heskey and Peter Crouch. And uh, he's like good England players. Gareth well, Barry. You, you used to have players who like, you should be able to get a tune out of Stuart Downing at international level or, you know, like it just never quite worked. Like you had your stars and they were always going to be picked that the stars didn't really fit together. It was like a, a jigsaw that you had to just bang down with a hammer and kind of to make something mm. vaguely pretty out of. Mm. And Germany are the same. Germany, Germany need, um, Germany won't win another World Cup until they start producing centre-halves and centre-forwards. Okay, uh, well, again. Nuno in the chat, comment. Yes. Flick out? Tuchel in? Uh, no, no, I, I think Hansi Flick is a really good coach. I just think it's it, it's a bigger issue than just change the coach. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's, again, that's another similarity. You tell the camera, tell Nuno in the camera. No, because I don't want it to be accused. Hey, hey, it's a hey, good, it's a, tell it's, Nuno directly. It's a very good question. But again, not to, to labour this England comparison, but it's it's the same issue that England had for a generation, which is when it's not going well, change the manager, get a new guy, get a new guy, get a new guy. It's only till you, you start to kind of target the roots of production and the type of footballer that's that's being um, created. Also, you need to start having conversations about how competitive the Bundesliga is, who's getting minutes and where, who's being exposed to Champions League football regularly. Like That's the thing to me okay. um so uh no there's nothing that I, I i can't can't see sort of hansi flick being being removed um i don't definitely don't see thomas tuchel as a, a germany manager now yeah i wouldn't well, see well, individual well, errors well. letting goals there's not a manager's fault no it's, it's, stuff it's cycle sure. so you brought in a group of players like sile was a um has had a disastrous season at dortmund um schlotterbeck's had an even worse time rudiger is not a first choice at real madrid like also the core of your side is playing for Bayern munich Bayern munich are like you look at the table and you think everything's fine at Bayern Munich. I don't necessarily agree. I, I think they'll end up, I, I'm going to guess they'll end up winning the Bundesliga. At the same time, they seem a little bit stuck between cycles. They're yet to really become a Nagelsmann team. It's not as convincing week to week as it usually has been over the past decade. And that affects most of your team because, um, you know, Sané's Bayern Munich player, Müller is, Nabry is, Musiala is, Gretzka is, Gretzka hasn't really been fit. Kimmich is Kimmich, but you're shifting him around and you're changing his kind of, um, you know, changing his task within a game. It's difficult and it's not very convincing. And I think tonight is sort of, um, and the tournament as a whole is evidence of it not being very good. Here's a stupid, potentially stupid question. Yeah. Um, is there a connection between uh, Bayern Munich dominating the Bundesliga every year and the German national team not being as good as they should be? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm not in a place to answer that. I don't have the um, the data or the kind of the research to, to answer something like that. What, what I would say is that um, in my mind, uh, I hope this doesn't come across as being controversial, but in, in my mind, like when you think of a club like, you think of Borussia Dortmund as being the nearest challenger to, to, to Bayern Munich, even though currently they're not. Mm. Um, it feels like if you don't play for Bayern Munich, you're kind of allowed to exist a little bit beneath the radar in terms of your week-to-week -week performance. Bayern Munich players are held to a very high standard by newspapers like Bild because Bayern Munich's all they cover. Uh, also, Sky Sports, German Sky Sports, um, Bayern Munich dominate. There, there are old Bayern Munich matches on every day, like the talk show, the, the, the German talk show um, sort of equivalent that you find on, on British TV. That's dominated by Bayern Munich's discussion and what's happening there and the politics and Oliver Kahn is doing this and Nagelsmann doesn't look happy and he's dressing in this t-shirt rather than that one. Mm. If you play for, for Borussia Dortmund, it seems to me to be quite strange that 
Nico Schlotterbeck can have the season he has and Niklas Sule can have the season he has and you're still starting for the German national team. Mm. Like it's, it's, it's not quite right. So there's kind okay. of a, a disparity in focus. Um, whether like Bayern Munich winning all the time has a kind of measurable effect on the talent available to the German national team and the performance of it, I don't know. I, you need someone smarter to answer that, I think. Sure, but, sure, sure. Okay. Well, a couple of points yeah. on Spain. Let's go back to Spain quickly, uh, JJ. Um, because first of all, uh, when we were talking about them at the time, a lot of, a um, little bit of, um, hmm, how do we say this, unrest in the chat, yeah? Uh, suggestions of the idea that Spain deliberately didn't score or deliberately lost in order to, um, either for the fun of getting Germany out or to have an easier route through. When you watched that game, do you feel as though there was anything deliberate about it? There's no way on earth that they were trying to collude with that. Also worth pointing out that for, as we said before, five minutes like of the second half, they minutes. were going out. Exactly, yeah. So I think that's stupid. And I think, you know, I think it takes it away from, um, I think it, I don't want anyone here, anyone, taking away from Japan's glorious victory. Can I, can I, I've had 30 more seconds to think about your question. Can I have add a little bit? Do you want to carry on talking? Well, can I come back to you for what? Sure. I've just got one more thing on Spain and then we will, we will yes, circle indeed. back to you yes, again. Yes, yes, yes. Um, question from Nick Hamblin in the chat. Will Spain prefer to be on the opposite side uh, of the knockouts to, to, to Brazil? And I'm assuming that Nick Hamblin knows that to be the case. Oh, is it Brazil on the other side of the draw now? Because, of course, Spain go on to play Morocco, which I don't think is an easy game at it's all. Not, no. And Morocco, Who would, they prefer? would Spain prefer Croatia or Morocco? Uh, they prefer play against Croatia. Yeah, okay. Because Morocco uh, will do a similar thing, not the same as Japan, but Morocco will sit off them a little bit. They'll pr they can press higher when they want to as well, mm. but uh, they go with real aggression. And so if they can snap it to Spain at exactly the right time when they're in transition and they're just going into their attacking shape and they'll close down Simon and Busquets and whoever they play at centre-back, probably Rodri, they can... They can force little errors from Spain mm -hmm. and Spain will be a little bit scared from that Japan game because they wouldn't have expected to have lost to them and been caught in the way they would have been warned like in preparation for this game Luis Enrique will have spent a week in training or the two days in training being like this is what you cannot do or actually you shouldn't do that because you put them in their mind you have to say this is what you must do you can't say to people, "This is like don't do this," because then it's in their mind and they do it accidentally. Oh, you, you, I've lost you. You've no, lost I, me. I was just, uh, 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 uh. What are so, you saying about people's minds? They've lost their minds. You have to. You have to say you must. You must. Yeah. So if you tell someone, "Don't like, don't think of a pink elephant," and then damn it. <laughs> well, that classic thing. So when you're meant to be telling people instructions, you're meant to tell them. Like, you're don't think to, Joe's the best. So when you're teaching someone how to play uh, football, I didn't think that oddly. Uh, when you teach someone to take a penalty, you shouldn't say like, uh, don't put it too low because people will save it. You have to say, you're going to put it to the top right. You're going to put it there. It's um, oh. to do with visualization and things like that. Right. So a lot of managers will subscribe to sports psychology and that's how sports psychologists have tended to do it. The very little I've read into it. Is that why you've got that vision board outside with you um, uh, being the king of Aberdeen or something? Yes, the king of Aberdeen. And I have yeah. a sign that says, I believe uh, and I have... In ghosts. And leaving ghosts, yeah. yeah, and various other things that I go on TikTok wormholes. Yeah. You are the kind of person who, who you, you do love aliens. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's live. No, yeah, I know. Well, yeah. I, I like that. 
I like the idea that they're maybe from a different time. Yeah. And maybe they're not from a different um Well, speaking place. of different time, we are going to circle back now uh, to discuss with Seb. Seb, what was it that you wanted to uh, to bring up again? No, I had a, I had a minute to think about it. Apologies, because we didn't have our preparation time tonight because I was live blogging. What question did you have? But, so you were talking about, you know, what is it that sort of needs to change? And do, do, do I think there's something structurally wrong with the Bundesliga or within the Bundesliga which contributes to the Because of how Bayern team. Munich dominated. Yeah, and I, I, I don't think it's about Bayern Munich's domination. Like one of the things I've I've seen as I try and learn German football, I'm still very much a beginner and I'm kind of trying to get around the country and see different things and learn about different clubs. But one of the tendencies I've noticed is that there's this, in England about 10 years ago, we were always observing the carousel of Steve Bruce's and Alan Pardews who rotate in and out of jobs and they're always there and there's no new ideas. It's just the same guys doing the same jobs year after year. Germany's worse. Germany's worse. Like there is, um, it's a very, um, it's the right way to put it. It, it. It's it's very internal. Like it's very, um, you know, German, German football doesn't necessarily brace new ideas in the form of coaches. You see a lot of German managers. You do not see a lot of people getting jobs from outside of Germany in the Bundesliga. So when, for instance, Leverkusen, Leverkusen appointed Jabi Alonso a few months ago, that's a big story because of Alonso, but also because Alonso is not typical of, of kind of the, the German manager identity. Um, and I was uh, currently Stuttgart looking for a, a new manager. And I read the other day that Bruno Labadia is, is a candidate for that job. Labadia is, um, was last seen at Hertha Berlin. He's kind of relegation specialist. He's sort of a, um, he's not really um, Sam Allardyce, but he's that kind of character. He's managed everyone. Mm. And you think, I, that feels very typical. That feels very typical that you, you look to, at the same guys to provide the same inspiration, the same job. And you're never, I think when that happens, uh, it's probably an accusation you could level at Dutch football too. Um, when that happens, I, I think your your culture, every now and again you need to throw open the windows is what I'm trying to say and allow new ideas in. And and I, I don't know if that's responsible for this and I don't know what, why that is or where it comes from. I think it's partly to do with the kind of the, um, the emphasis placed on the German language. German football clubs want their managers speaking German in a, to a really high standard and so that might be off-putting. But at the same time, maybe one of the consequences of this is that your game doesn't quite get questioned or it doesn't quite evolve in the way that it might do in the way that the Premier League benefits from Guardiola, from Klopp, from um, from Pochettino, from uh, Eric Ten Hag now. All these different ideas. It's a big melting pot. And I understand there's more money, but at the same time, like, you Did know. Pep speak German? Uh, yeah, he um, during his uh, his sabbatical in New York, he learned it and was, uh, when he arrived as, as Bayern Munich manager, spoke it to a very high standard. Wow. Yeah. Um, Smart guy. And it's communication is very important. Like, so when, when Klopp became Liverpool manager at his first meeting with FSG, he was kind of, I think he was sold on, um, on the project. And this is actually in Rafa's, Rafa Honigstein's book about Klopp, uh, bring the noise. But his one concern is that, do I speak the language well enough that my message can get across and mm. that the kind of the power of my, cause he's a know, message guy. Absolutely a message yeah. guy. But I just think every now and again, it just disappoints me. A, a, a Bundesliga club sacks a, a, a coach and appoints another coach. Yeah. Um, like when, um, Florian Kerfeld got sacked by Werder Bremen and then sort of failed upwards and went to, uh, I think Wolfsburg. Yeah. I might be wrong about that. My brain is it's, melted. But, it's kind of an interesting yeah. idea though, isn't it? Because, you know, I'm thinking two things. I, I, I miss Bielsa's translator. I loved seeing that guy's face. I like that guy. He had a nice look about him. I enjoyed it. Yeah. And I like to watch Marcelo Bielsa say something in, in Spanish and then to watch this guy translate it. No problem. 
what's he leaving out? You know, I think that's always that's always a bit of fun. Also, when you watch a foreign language film, I guess you know a film that is uh, where English is not the primary language spoken. They're always so much better yes, because you can't yes. tell if the actors are any good. If you don't speak the language, this is my firm belief, if you don't speak the language and you're just reading the subtitles, I honestly feel like the quality of acting uh, in foreign language films, foreign language to me, is extraordinarily high because I have no idea if they're any good or not. Well, that's also because uh, you can tell a good actor when you don't know that they're acting. Uh, so, yeah, 100%. So yeah. like, yeah. You, you see some uh, shows and you're going, ah, I know that guy is mm-hmm. just from like... Like Rada or something, right? He's straight out of there. And yeah. Goes, <laughs> uh, well, you hear the little idiosyncrasies within it that you don't hear. So I wonder if I'm, I'm thinking, putting myself in the position of a, of a footballer, who would I be more inspired by? I suppose, obviously, as you say, communication is is extremely important. But um, there's something very compelling about having a relationship with someone that doesn't speak the same language as you. I guess so, but then I, I suppose to me like from from the little bits that i do know like it seems like professional football is sort of rife with insecurity and if you don't get the opportunity to develop a close relationship with a manager that perhaps breeds a kind of uh, an insecurity about how that person feels about you and you know how you're valued and those kind of things it does make it more intriguing intellectually mm. i suppose but it, it probably has some pitfalls too that's why i think diego simone won't take a job in the premier league yeah, because it, he just yeah. he relies so much on bringing the fire but he can't yeah. do that yeah. if it's Translated as the warm air. This is a nice comment. Uh, TJR2109. Joe again makes an obvious point thinking that he's the first person to have made it. <laughs> I mean, you were going mad at Clive earlier. I was annoyed. What was what was he saying? He was saying that nobody pre- could have predicted possibly that Japan would have beaten Spain. Nobody yeah. in the world. There is um, one person. I'm sure there's more than one. Well, we're on this podcast. No, listen, 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 hey, 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 Clive. Fantastic commentator. Not not a bad word to say about him. He's great. Except yeah. when he said that I didn't predict that because I did. But no, he wasn't talking to me. He wasn't talking about you. This no. is the kind of egocentric thing that this guy in the chat is talking about. You know, thinking I'm the first time, first person that's ever said that thing. You thought no, Clive Tilsley yeah. was talking to you. I thought he was talking to me. Because ego there's a man on the tv Maybe talking and you're watching so therefore listen we've been talking now for a really long time don mm. haven't we? How long is that? It's 40 minutes. Let's have the first break. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Oh, what a lovely break You've it was. You've too much sugar. <laughs> no, do you know what it was? You guys were just having a thrilling debate. A thrilling hey, debate. And I didn't, I, want to inter- I didn't want to interfere. And Seb came back in with his, his added 30 seconds, which turned into a 10-minute thing. This and has been cool. great. I, I've really enjoyed this yeah. evening's live stream. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like we've had a nice little nice chat. The thing is, though, we're going to have to talk for a while now in mm. order that, that um, you know, it people don't feel as though a break yeah. is right at the end there. And that's a little tricky for us. But let's... Um, Let's have a conversation now about uh, the games from Group F. Of course, Canada versus Morocco. And I haven't written down what the scores were. Oh, Canada won. Two Morocco. Is that right? I've taken two lines of notes. Have you? <laughs> for, for this game. These, for all these games. Well, that's fine because I was going to come to Seb first anyway. Morocco, Seb, through their group for the first time since 1986, only the second time in their history. And they've, yeah. been, they've been tremendous, haven't they? I've really enjoyed them, Joe. Yeah. Like I think in 2018, when... We might have even talked about this together. When you saw their squad list, you thought 
that's fun. Can't wait to see that. And they were crushing disappointment. Mm -hmm. This is what I expected to see in 2018. A a really nice combination of flair. Um, We've talked about Amrabat, Sofian Amrabat. He's uh, been among my favorite players during the tournament. But it's really nice to see Enaziri play as well as you know he can from his time at Sevilla. Like he's such a gifted footballer. Mm -hmm. Actually came up in a sensible transfers in about 2019. But um, he looked great. What a a wonderful center forwards goal um, to score Morocco's second. And they deserve it. They've been excellent. They've been resilient. They've played with expression in the right areas and at the right time. Uh, I've just thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's, it's great. It feels like uh, you mentioned the kind of the statistic, but um, they failed to get out of the group in 2018. Um, they're eliminated in the group in 1998 and in 1994. And so this feels like a really big step forward. Mm. And I always feel also like when you have, when you have, um, when you have a squad built from players who are eligible to represent um, multiple different countries who perhaps were born in different areas and kind of, um, you know, uh, can trace their heritage back to, to, to a different place. Like at first, it's really important that you show signs of progress because part of your ability to attract other players and say, listen, you know, you're from this country, your parents are, or, you know, you maybe you left when you were younger or maybe you've moved abroad, whatever. But this is this is a viable option for you to, to um you know, play on the biggest stage with play, play international football on the biggest stage. And so when you have something like a a Morocco getting through to the last 16 and I mean, who are they facing? Croatia. Aren't aren't Croatia facing Japan? Did I miss that? Yes. Spain. Right. Okay. But then you wouldn't necessarily (laughs) (laughs) like you wouldn't. If you knew that, then you could have worked the other one out. Why are you asking me? I'm the last person I'm who would so know this. I'm so tired. You put me on the spot. It man. was the confidence was with which you just said Croatia. Well, that's, you know. Okay. But looking at that side, you wouldn't, they're an underdog. Yeah. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't back against them. Like they've been super, you know, very, very effective during this tournament. And I just think it's a great advert for Moroccan football, the, what, the way they've played. And I agree um, with you. Super impressive. And also like, you know, if you were, um, if you were an, uh, an aspiring Moroccan international, would you, you'd very much want to play in front of those traveling Morocco fans. Mm. Um, it looks great. And it just looks much as we said with the Australian performance yesterday and the response that garnered back in Australia. Yeah. Same deal. This is what the World Cup is about. Yeah. Is seeing these kind of scenes well, and seeing what true. matters. What, one of our editors today um, in an editorial meeting referenced the, the, the fans that were there from different, uh, following different teams and um, and said that it would be a crying shame if Morocco uh, were to go out so early because the, the Moroccan fans are there having a brilliant time. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And it's, yeah. it's like we, this is more than any other tournament in my lifetime. This has been a World Cup of big macro issues so uh, it's really nice to talk about the sort of the smaller moments which are kind of your your world cup bedrock which is goals being scored teams doing good things and fans celebrating kind of yeah. nice to be able to talk about stuff like that yeah 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 okay cool um right we added in uh, the live chat a poll how far can morocco go 50 percent said round of 16 50 percent do not expect them to get past spain but 10 percent said finals or winners yeah, that's nice. Pretty that exciting. Is. It's on the internet, so it'll happen. I think that's how it works. Now, what's impressed you most about Morocco? JJ? But Morocco, that they have a real high technical, a real high technical level. Mm, so they're yeah. really good players, um, but they play with aggression and the energy and urgency that we saw missing exactly from Germany, like we we're talking about earlier. Um, 
the way they play, so they, they play a 4-3-3. One of the big things they've got is Hakim Ziyech, who wasn't, he basically retired from international football. We may have talked about this before, mm. but they had a change of manager. Then the new manager came in, the one that's currently here, and Ziyech is back in, and that makes a huge difference. He scored the first goal tonight. Uh, the goal, the ball was passed to him by the keeper. I kind of had a bit of a shocker, actually. That was a really funny sequence of play, though. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't seen it, basically, the, the, it's a really poor pass back by, I think, Vittoria, the, the Canadian centre-back, who passes back but doesn't put enough on it. And it gets chased down by a uh, Moroccan forward, maybe on, in Naziri. And so out comes the goalkeeper, but he just shanks it straight into Ziyech, who then chips him from about 35 yards. Really good finish. So having a player like Ziyech with that high technical level is important, but uh, there's no point in having those sorts of technical players like Ziyech and Buffal up, up front if you don't then have real, like, uh, I think aggression is the right word, and people who can get into tackles but comfortably keep the ball in the midfield. So Amrabat has been the absolute key. He's, he's plays as a number six. He plays behind two midfielders in front of the defence, and you see him, like, he celebrates when he wins tackles. He doesn't let anyone have a second on the ball. Mm. Then Unahi and Sabiri, decent enough in part of the midfield as well. But other thing they've got, apart from these two skillful guys up front and a bit of grit in the middle of the pitch, is Hakimi and Masraoui are two of the best fullbacks in the entire tournament. They get really high, really early to give you your width. And they're good players that can come inside the pitch as well and help create. So a bit of unpredictability there. Then the two centre-backs, Aguer, does that you see his name? Aguer? I don't know how his name. Aguerd, I think. Aguerd. Well, he's at West Ham now, right? Yes, so indeed. him and Saiz, yeah. that's two uh, Premier League level centre-backs. They're just a solid World Cup team and because they play like a bad one. This is the thing. They play like a bad team, but they're not. Mm. And that's the thing. Like, if we reverse it to Germany, they're a really good team, but they don't play like it. They, or, exactly. Yes, there we go. Exactly. So if Germany played like a bad team, like what England do, they'd probably been better off this tournament. Morocco play like... I don't know, just worse than they actually are. So they're decent. And that's why I think they've got a good... Because the, the balance is really nice and they've got a good team spirit and momentum behind them. I think they can do quite well with it. I can see them... Tactically, I can see reasons why they'd be able to take Spain out. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly with the midfield winning the ball, turning it over and then getting at them with Ziyech and Buffal. Uh, if they push the fullbacks forward, that might be something they do. So they'll probably sit off Spain a little bit, let them have the play that they want to and then attack them really quickly, maybe play a bit of a high line, catch Morata, because Morata's offside constantly. Um, and that's why I think Morocco are real nice. Okay, fine. Um, we did a lot of Canada the other day, um, so I think let's skip over them, given how long we have talked already during Yeesh. this podcast. Seb, they were um, fun, though, weren't they? Yeah, they were, they, were, they were really good fun. They were really good fun. I look forward to seeing them again in four years' time. Um, Croatia versus Belgium. Of course, we already know that Croatia have gone through. We've spent a fair amount of time talking about them too. Uh, Belgium, Seb, uh, just thoroughly disappointing. Yeah, I mean, I reminded me a little bit of Mexico in the sense that you, for the last maybe 30 minutes of this game, you suddenly had a little glimpse of what Belgium might have been in terms yeah. of their energy and their well, chance creation. Lukaku arrived as well. Lukaku right? arrived. And should we talk about Lukaku actually? Because I feel like he's being unfairly flogged mm-hmm. a little bit. I just feel like he missed some chances, but he's been out for a very long time. He's played very little football. Of the chances he missed, I think only really one of them was an actual sitter. It's yeah. probably the, the, the header the header of the top. It wouldn't have counted anyway, right? Yeah, it wouldn't have counted anyway. The ball actually was shown to have gone across the goal line, so it wouldn't have mattered. But also, that, I that think, one that hit his chest was like, how is yeah, he supposed to finish that? But it, you know, it, you, it looks like it looks like it's an obvious goal because it hits him near the goal line, and the yeah. goalkeeper's not there. But like, oh, I agree with Seb. I think if Lukaku had been playing and scored like eight goals in his last yeah. fourteen, he puts that in because he just knows where to put his chest. Maybe, the time. Yeah. Because it kind of comes to him, you can't react that way. Yeah, but when it comes off his leg, it's nothing you can do about it. 
Also, the one that comes off his chest, he's expecting Lovren to make the clearance. So actually, his weight is distributed in a way that he's kind of anticipating a little bit of a touch, maybe a deflection off Lovren. Lovren misses it, and it's an, it's kind of a defensive clangor, actually. And it comes to him far quicker than he can respond to. Mm. And I just feel this is a bit of a feature of what happens when Lukaku misses chances. It's just like people people really go after him. And I just, people go after Lukaku just generally. I, yeah, it's not it's not great. And also, I think like... it's all. Can I, can I, can I make the point that... Almost all of this is based off uh, transfer fees, which yeah. is funny anyway, because if you were going to base it off money, it would be wages instead of transfer 100%. fees. 100%. That's really stupid. And also, it's not the player's fault how much money they are bought for by another club. It's just not. It, like People talk about it as though, oh, Lukaku thinks he's a £100 million player. Lukaku may think nothing of the sort. He has had nothing to do with that. Like, it's, it's so what, annoying. It's just what clubs are willing to pay for him. He does think he's quite good. Like, but I think he, is, I think he is a pretty good player. Professional athletes should, you have to, should be, do that. You have to have the arrogance to play that role. That's the mm. whole point. Good ones do. You think like Patrick yeah. didn't think the same when mm. he was playing. I, I think I think sort of Southwest is, is really important to Romelu Lukaku. It always feels like his best form has always coincided with being in a place where he, he feels appreciated and loved in the same way that when he was into Milan, the first time he was into Milan, when they won the title Yeesh. with when he's playing alongside Martinez, uh, he was absolutely brilliant. And he was the focal point. He was everything to that team. He was, uh, he was fantastic that year. Perfect foil having Martino there, sorry, uh, Lautaro next to him because yep. he does all the defensive work that Lukaku doesn't. Yep. And so he could play exactly how he wants in a league that suits him exactly. Yep. Absolutely. And, and, you know, conversely, when you put him in a team where uh, things aren't quite built around him and when he, he's in a position to kind of receive criticism, uh, and that's kind of typically happened at Manchester United and at Chelsea when he returned to Chelsea, you see that there's actually quite a fragile person there. And so I, I, I have a lot of sympathy for him. And also he's only on the pitch because Belgium are in a, a, a desperate situation. He's not fit enough to be in that side at the moment because if he was, if he was even close to being fit enough, he would start because yeah. that's, there's a gulf between him and Michy Bashaway. It's a really clever um, thing he did. I said to you, uh, you weren't here. I was like, no, were you? I can't remember. I Where you, you, no um, they had a free kick, I think, or maybe an attack. I can't, well, I can't remember what they were doing, basically. But Lukaku was playing off the top. And uh, he took, so the ball was coming in over the top and he basically grabbed the defender's shirt and pushed him towards the goal so that he'd be onside. <laughs> and because really clever. He's a big lad, Lukaku, right? Mm-hmm. He's got the strength to do it. And that's the thing. And I feel with Lukaku as well, it's almost like, I remember watching that video we did with Jamie Carragher and he was teaching him how like he wants someone to be next to him because he can feel where he is so he can spin him and get around him. And he's really quick to turn. Like for a big guy, he can spin really quickly. Mm. But it always seems to me like his touch lets him down at the wrong times. It's not like Luka Modric where the ball goes in and just sticks or it's just dead, right? As soon as you mm. fire it, you fire it like at him with a cannon and it's dead. Mm. Whereas Lukaku, sometimes his touch is perfect and sometimes it's not. And it's that inconsistency which is kind of hurts him. And then when a few of those happen in a row, it must get in your head. Then you don't trust your touch and then you don't make the same runs. You don't make the same things you want to do. Did I watch this video with you the other day of, of uh, was it the Spain team in practice? They they dropped a ball from a drone and watched them all try to control it. No, well, that sounds really Really it's really cool. Yeah, I want to watch that. It's the players you would. I think it was the Spain team. It's the players you would expect who kill it dead. Yeah, like, Pedri, and like but most yeah. of them. And these, you know, bear in mind these are obviously professional footballers, better than everyone else in the world. Uh, most of it's bouncing off left, right, and centre. But uh, it's really. I'll, I'll try and dig it out afterwards. I want to see that. Well, that's the thing. That's what I think makes great footballers is the first touch. Mm. You can just tell that you, it's just natural. It's like Messi looks like. Uh, 
he was just born in the matrix of football where mm. it can't bounce off in like a video game. Do you remember, so, do you remember the video games in like the mid nineties where like it was when Brazil, Brazil, the chat's reminding me it was Brazil. Oh, I'll, Brazil. I'll take that video out. Yeah. When, when you, when you used I to pass every time, yeah. like when you used to pass the ball between your players, like it just became part of your player. Like yeah. it wasn't controlled. ISS, it was just part yeah. of your player's body. So that you had like a, a football shaped growth on the end of your foot. And and it's like that. The, the touch is so good that it's like he kind of consumes the football. It's very strange, but mm. brilliant. Well, Belgium are garbage anyway, so... Yeah, I I miss Belgium. Okay, Um, and uh, we've got our best man, John McKenzie, on the case, looking into the FIFA ranking system uh, with the uh, potential of making a video out of that. Yeah, he was very excited about that. I'm sure he was. One more thing, that... that, um, we were talking about Lukaku's chances. I, I, should, I should just finish off by saying we say that because Belgium are technically ranked second in the world by FIFA. Ah, I see. Yeah. I see. I, I just wanted to extend some praise to Guardiola because um, one of the Lukaku chances was denied by probably what will end up being the tackle of the tournament. Just ridiculous. I felt very what, what smart a defender. Um, uh, <laughs> during this World Cup because at one point somebody said, Guardiola, um, of course, a player that is going to be on lots of people's christmas lists or whatever afterwards and i thought oh i knew about him before yeah you did because uh, i had nothing to do with it but because he was on the uh, tifo sensible transfers and, and yeah. uh, you guys uh, and friend of the podcast um uh, well uh, our friend has been uh, talking this person up for a very very long time loves him loves him yeah. and quite rightly so he looks uh, extra fierce with his face mask as well mm. but i he does everything well like i think um you know his his defense factory is pretty plain to see but just a great ball carrier as well like just yeah. a good footballer all over the pitch fantastic and uh left-footed and really excels in that kind of outside center back uh, position which probably makes him much more valuable yeah. as well okay uh, let's have yeah. another break and then when we come back we'll do a tiny bit more and we'll play points bad yes okay what a lovely break we just had now quickly roberto martinez asked after the game whether he wants to stay as a belgium national team coach now is not the moment he said what do we make of that? Well, that means no. <laughs> it means also that uh, about an hour later, it was revealed that he has departed. Great. The plan is right up to date, I see. Yeah. Well, so, there you go. Let me just hold on. We're on I YouTube. Know that, I should do a live reaction to that. Say it one more time. So about an hour. <laughs> Roberto Martinez has resigned. Uh, I don't know if resign is the right word, but it, they have. Uh, he will no longer coach Read the Belgian head coach. So. Read all about it. Okay, he he will no longer coach yeah, this the Belgian is, he team. Is, he is done. I don't know what the circumstances are around that. I saw that Rawr. break on. Uh, you read about it on the Athletics. We've got a story about it that went out uh, about an hour and a half ago. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Mister, Mister, hear the news? Yeah, I didn't hear it, but I did now. I don't know either. From the Athletic. Okay, cool. Well, that's Roberto Martinez. Um, I guess there's nothing really left to do except play points are bad, unless either of you have anything you want to talk about. Japan, Croatia, Morocco, Spain. We'll come to do our predictions for those the days before, of course. Um, anything else you want to say? Just like football. You like football. Well it done, was Japan. a good day. Well done, Japan, just because I think, like, when, when you face a team like Spain, there's a temptation just to accept, right, we're out. Because you've seen it happen in the past. Accept what? Well, you can kind of accept <laughs> that you're out. <laughs> I was watching. I watched a bit of last night's live stream back with Seb last night. And uh, I thought you could make a really long compilation out of Seb's noises. Ah, yeah, he yeah. does make some good ones. Yeah. Yeah. Clip anyway, it up, everyone, if you're watching. Clip you, up. you were saying good stuff about Japan there. I just think it's healthy to see this happen. Like you see, um, yeah, World Cup, different teams from different parts of the world. Um, it's not always the same sides winning. It's not predictable. It's a good thing. It suggests there's a kind of a healthy future in amongst like Super mm. Leagues and nonsense and blah you know the rest of it so it's just nice mm. to see morocco through japan through great fantastic yeah. 
Okay, cool. Right, well, all let's put all our headphones Ooh. on so we can listen to a nice song. And producer Don, we're ready for a special version of Points of Bad when you are. Points of Bad. Summers on Twitter sent that song into us, so assuming you heard that, Ban Summers, thank you very much. We very much enjoyed that. that nice was to hear lovely. It, it? I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, really, really good. Okay, fine. Lovely stuff. Uh, well, thank you, Ban. Now, to the meat of the matter. Mm. Elliot Smith, points are bad. That's <laughs> very clever. Listen, guys, we've done with, we're done with praising Ban now. Ban has had his time, and let someone else have their time. Best game day of the you get back here now you listen to me <laughs> you listen you hey you've won every game you win every day i have had the best the best the best game day not just in separation from all of you who did poorly the best day in points overall of all time you on joke, four games you joking? i gained 3 points today. on four games on four games i gained 3 points i am a hero <laughs> i'm the people's hero <laughs> And as a result of that, when we come to the grand totals later, you're going to find that, you're that you won't sleep by so less. easy tonight, <laughs> yes. except stuff for Blore. Now listen, I am, oh, had a great day today. I had a great day today. I had two perfect scores, of course. I predicted uh, perfectly that uh, the, 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 the Morocco-Canada result, and of course the Japan-Spain result, the big one, the one Clive said I didn't. It's I did, really Clive. Good. I did. It's a great shot. I got it. I've overindulged myself now. Let's go back to normal. Well, listen, I finished on three points. Uh, next place, John, nine. And then Seb on 10. And then JJ on 12. You had a terrible day. Oh, dear. A terrible day. Now, I don't... I did John send me a... I can't believe you refer to yourself as the people's hero. <laughs> did, did I say that? <laughs> the people's hero. Oh, John was so prepared. He sent them to me over two hours ago. Fine. Okay. Uh, right. So let us do our predictions for tomorrow. I will, of course, go last as the people's hero. JJ, you... <laughs> the people's hero. JJ, you will go first, followed by Seb, followed as by John. As the people's John. loser? As the people's loser. I don't know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> It's only going to happen once. I'm, in, I'm enjoying it. The villain. Now, uh, Ghana Uruguay is the first, uh, the first game to choose. Please, JJ. And, and let's let, bear in mind the context of this. I think we mentioned this when Kiva was on the podcast last night. But of course, do you remember? Was it the last time that these two met in a World Cup? Luis Suarez handballed the ball off the goal line. 2010. 2010 yeah. Uruguay. I won't remember watching that game. So, I assume two, three. You think? Ghana 2, yeah. Uruguay 3. Yeah. Okay, fine. Seb Staffordblore? I'm going to say 1-0 Uruguay. 1-0 Uruguay. Yeah. Okay. I don't know where you guys are getting these goals from because Uruguay have been so bad. Uh, but it's John to pick next. John says Ghana Uruguay, Ghana 0, 2 Uruguay. I mean, again, I don't know. Leave it to the people's hero, guys. Ghana 2 Uruguay one. Oh, there we go. Oh, there we go. Now, Korea, uh, Republic, Portugal. JJ, let's begin with you. Yes. Well, I like not going first because I can find out what the team's looking like. Mm -hmm. I think it'll be 
A one, two. You think one, two, Korea, Portugal. South Korea, one, Portugal, two. Okay, fine. Uh, steps out of the Oh, yeah. I will say uh, 2-1 South Korea. You think 2-1 South Korea? Yeah. I'm inclined to agree with you, actually. I think Portugal have been fairly poor. John uh, has suggested 1-0 Portugal. I'm going to go for 1-0 South Korea. I think Portugal have been very, very slow. South Korea, they were good in that. They were good in the last 10 minutes of that last game. The bit I saw. I don't know, I'm the people here. Uh, <laughs> Serbia, Switzerland. <laughs> JJ Bull, what do you think? Uh, I think <laughs> that I like Serbia, and so therefore <laughs> I will say Serbia to win. Yeah. By. You're the worst at going first. Come yes. on, man, just say a score. No, 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 I'm doing a score right now. I'm doing a score. Look how seriously uh, he takes this game. Three. Nil. Three nil. Why am I doing that? The Serbia three nil. Okay, I'll accept it. It's because I've got to board as other things. I will say two one Switzerland. You think two one Switzerland? I agree. I think Switzerland would win that game. Yeah. Like uh, John says Well John says uh nil one to Switzerland. Oh no, mm. I've just thrown it all away and I always do this. It's always the mental side of it that I give These, away, these are it? final group games, right? Yeah. I might do you know what? I'm gonna go for a two two in this one. I think, that's, I think that's right on the money. Make it fun. Okay, Cameroon-Brazil, JJ. This is the final game for tomorrow. Cameroon-Brazil. Uh, are Brazil through? Yes. Yes. Then I think, I don't know, 1-3. You think 1-3? I think that's a pretty good shout. Uh, Seb Staffer-Blore, Cameroon-Brazil. Uh, I will say 0-2-Brazil. 0-2-Brazil. Okay, John... Uh, has requested a 3-0 to Brazil. And I will be going for a one-all. Lovely job. Okay, fine. That is points are bad for tomorrow. Now, let me just tell you the grand totals. I am still last as the people's hero. Yeah. I am still last. However, the gap significantly less than it was yesterday. I'm on 102 points, having gained just the three today. Yes, in second to you last place. I have crossed the three-digit threshold, though, now. But someone else has, too. Is it John McKenzie? It's John McKenzie. Oof. He's on 100 points. He gained nine today, of course. Seb Staffer-Bloor, 96. You did okay. That was okay. Sorry. Four ahead of John. And now just four ahead of Seb Staffer-Bloor is JJ Bull on Second 92. There's only 10 now. points between first and last, guys. Just 10 points. And as we've seen today... That can be turned. And I've gone, I've gone, I've got bored of going a bit doolally from all the football and I've started to then put in stupid scores rather than what I actually think. Yeah, yeah. good. That's about right. Well, it's that's time better to, for the game. It's time it? that you stopped cheating anyway, just saying 1-1 one, one for everything. How's that cheating? It's so boring. <laughs> it's not cheating. I was getting the right right, results. Yeah, well, no, fine. It's not cheating, but it's against the spirit of the game. We all know it. And we all know that winning is more important to you than playing in the spirit of well, the game. Well, as the real people's champion, the champion of the people, mm. uh, I know that what they wanted entertainment and what they wanted to, is me to predict everything correctly sure. at the start and yeah. then be stupid. Before you champion, champion, as champion as of entertainment. Before champion yeah. <laughs> of entertainment. And That's what I am. Champion of entertainment. <laughs> yeah. Very, very modest. It's interesting that. That's, it's a bit like um, uh, various different uh, honours, isn't it, that you can have uh, by given different countries. I'm the hero of the people. You're the champion of the people. It's not really clear what the difference between those two <laughs> I think things mine's is. Better. So. Oh, no. Yeah. Push the wrong button. Fine. Okay, cool. Well, anyway, <laughs> I'll bask in it for just a moment longer. You've written Seb a number of times on the board, haven't you there? 
That's right. For the video people watching, the audio people won't be able to see that, will they? No. But can you describe what you've done for the audio listeners? Uh, rinse Seb's name as many times as I could on the board. Yeah. And then you scribbled all over it, haven't you? Well, that was because Seb was trying to stop me doing it earlier. Oh, Seb was scribbling. <laughs> yeah. This is the result of a battle. Yeah. It's quite nice, isn't it? You gave up early. It's Collaborative artwork. Yeah. Yeah, yeah very yeah. abstract. You can sell that as an NFT. Well, yeah. I, I certainly think it says a lot about both of you. But there we go. JJ Bull the Bullard. Thank you. <laughs> Seb's Halford's Floor. Thank you, Jay Devine. Thanks as usual to Don and Jamie over there in the corner. And editor Nathan, who reminded me personally the other day that I don't thank him at the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> thank you nathan to you most of all yeah mainly to you anyway we'll be back uh tomorrow with uh john mckenzie the uh the goblins hero the, <laughs> <laughs> the goblins hero Until here then. it comes see you later everybody bye 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 <laughs>